Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. Hey, Ben, this is David Duchovny. Twin Peaks is over 30 years old. There's so much more to learn about Twin Peaks. I, we recommend you pick up our book, Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book, to find out even more about the show that you love. We have tons of great stuff. We have over 100 interviews. We have commentary from the community. We have us. We have some great photos that have never been seen by most folks. I think if you're a diehard Twin Peaks fan, you're going to absolutely love this book, and you will definitely learn something new. So pick it up at BlueRoseMag.com. Hey, this is Charlotte Stewart, and you're listening to Twin Peaks Unwrap. to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hey, Brian. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Good. So, Brian, it seems like uh, we uh, people have been enjoying uh, the new format. Oh, my God, yes. Very, like, very exciting that everybody has been very receptive to this. Great reviews. It's awesome that people really like this. I was surprised that Scott from the Red Room uh, praised us. He said we were one of the best uh, Twin Peaks podcasts. And he can never take that back. He can never take that back. <laughs> I've got it in writing. Uh, we actually have it framed, Scott. Thank it's, you, Scott. It's framed, but thank you very much. It, it's an honor that you said that. It, it means a lot, actually. It does. It means a lot. Because we, I think we, we love the Red Room podcast. We think what, yes. what, what they're doing over there is amazing. I still am jealous that uh, Sherilyn Fenn was on their show. I and know. They, huh? We also have to thank Andy Bentley for uh, redesigning our profile picture. We now have it. It's awesome. I mean, Andy went and just did whatever he wanted. I said to him, I, I still want that kind of uh, unwrapped kind of feel to it. Yeah. And he, uh, he, he just... Did some amazing work there. I loved it. The moment you texted it to me, I was like, yes, I loved it. I loved it right away. And I think the reception on that has been very positive as well. Yeah. And Andy is a graphic designer. I mean, if you ever need some work, you can probably reach out to him. I think he's reasonable uh, prices for uh, for the work that he does. And After this episode, we're going to have a lot to talk about. We're going to give all our listeners a lot to talk about. What do you have planned on today's docket? Well, we got some log lady. Ooh. And we got some Joel. Oh, Joel. Oh, man. Brad Duke's going to be good. And we're going to be going over some casting information. So, spoiler alert. I mean... If you consider that a spoiler. A spoiler. I mean, it's been out for a long enough time that people should know who the cast is, but we'll go into that. We're going to go into that. I guess we might go into who we think the actor is... Yeah. Playing on the show. Yeah. I bet that's been out for a while, too. Yeah. And then we're also going to be talking about in our story segment about the audio version of the Mark Frost book that's going to be coming out this October. Mm. So. Lots to talk about. So let's get into it. Let's Let's get into it. Log Lady time.
So we got Log Lady intro. This is gonna be episode one. I carry a log. Yes. Is it funny to you? It is not to me. Behind all things are reasons. Reasons can even explain the absurd. Do we have the time to learn the reasons behind the human being's varied behavior? I think not. Some take the time. Are they called detectives? Watch and see what life teaches. That's a lot to ingest right there. Yeah, well, we can start off with the, the log. I mean, she takes it very serious that she has this log. What do you make of it when you first saw the show, that this woman with the log? <laughs> well, sorry, log lady. It is hard not to snicker. If you don't know about something, you sometimes you make fun of it. True. Because it's, 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 sometimes maybe it's uncomfortable, too. Yeah, it's like, yeah. this is so odd. This is so weird. I don't know how to respond or how to act. And so you laugh. laugh. At, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the saying, whistling in the dark. Um, you, you get uncomfortable. So you poke fun of that, make it make sense out of it in your head. So I think that's sort of like that. What that's saying, like, you know, I don't think this is funny and you shouldn't either. And then when we learn more about the log lady, she has a real name. I've got tea. I've got cookies. No cake. Well, that's very kind of you, ma'am, but I don't believe that. What kind of cookies? Sugar. The owls won't see us in here. Cup of tea would be very nice. Shut your eyes and you'll burst into flames. Thanks, Margaret. Margaret, I think Lan Margaret. Margaret. <laughs> Lannerman. Yes. You know, we interviewed uh, Catherine Coulson, and and we said like. I think the log is a like has a spirit in it, and she kind of said, "No, no, no. It's it's just something that she cherishes." Yeah, and I kind of was reading after that. No, God bless no, her no, heart, yes. and that's what her, the actress, is playing right. the character. But I like that mystery of not knowing. And we asked her. We asked her. We so did. we have nobody. I'm, I'm glad that we asked yeah, her. It's still, yeah. it's still good to know what she thought of it. Yeah, so. yeah. I still, per my personal feeling is that it is, it, the spirit of her husband doesn't live in there, but it is a reminder of her husband. It's mm. something physical because he was a lumberjack. So this is something physical that she can always hold. And it's almost like her baby. And I believe it was a wedding present. I think she talks to it and it might sound crazy because it talks back, but it gives her comfort. It's like a security blanket. And, we, and, and you have no problem saying that you think that maybe Diane isn't real and that it's really Cooper talking to himself. Yeah, this so could be the same thing. It could be the same thing, that she's she's saying the log, but she's really talking about herself. Or, yeah. Or that, you know, yeah, it that could be she... her inner monologue. You know, when someone has a puppet and they say things with a puppet it's and they could get away with saying these weird things with a puppet <laughs> yes. and be they could be hurtful or nasty or joke around, but that person wouldn't say it. The puppet's saying it. Right. Sort of like the same thing. Margaret's not saying this, but the, lo the log is. And maybe it's like a deflective thing. She also mentioned about detectives and it definitely, I think we're talking about Cooper. Yeah. And I think Cooper was kind of modeled off as Sherlock Holmes kind of a little bit, like the idea that he was a, a detective. Yes. Yeah, so that's interesting. All right, I think it's time for or who's in Twin Peaks? We got a doozy today, Ben. 
So out of our uh, cast of uh, 217, who are we going to talk about today? <laughs> well, before we started the show, I brought it up. This is seriously my first look. Like, I knew the musicians. I didn't think the musicians are a thing. i like, yeah, whatever. That could be anything. This is my first. I literally saw this list. The top of the list. I haven't looked at the whole thing. Don't, don't show me, Ben. We've only, we've only scratched the surface. And the one thing that jumped out at me, or I should bring this up. There's two things that jumped out at both of us. The fact that IMDb is giving us episode numbers, which we know for a fact David Lynch has said he's still editing them. And what they're saying too is they're saying this actor is in this many episodes, which is like, right, how do you know how do you know? only in two episodes or three episodes or even one episode? How do you know that for sure? Until when, he's done with right. the show. Who's to say that like something that he, he filmed in the beginning that maybe was going to be used in episode one isn't going to then be episode eight or and something. And it could be yeah. cut out. Right. We could have uh, Missing Pieces Part 2 at some point. We, we don't know. And this is all, it seems arbitrary at this moment. So what we're going into is, again, could be considered some spoilers. So we're going to pick one person in particular. We're going to talk about the character Sheriff Harry S. Truman, which we did find out, I believe last year, there was a rumor that um, the actor, the original actor, mm -hmm. I can't think of his name. Michael O'Keefe. He, he was not going to be in it. And people well, here's the fascinating thing about this real quick is that like a while back, I think on social media, there was this whole thing of looking for uh, Truman's coat. And I think he was looking for it. So in the beginning, a couple years ago, it seemed like he was going to be uh, involved with the, this. Like he was going to be involved yeah, with Twin yeah, Peaks yeah. and stuff. And yeah, I think Brad Dukes might even have more information about this. And he, he probably, if you went to one of his Brad Dukes show, he, he talks more about this. But he... He, 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 I think they were looking for the coat, so it seemed like he was on board. And then, you know, now it seems like he, he, he's he, not going to be he's in not it. Not going to be a part of it. And I don't know if it's family matter or what. Whatever the reason, he's not going to be a part of it. So it sounds like they've recasted uh, Harry S. Truman as uh, the actor that was in Mulholland Drive, right? Who plays a cop? Yes. In that is Robert Forrester. Was there a rumor that Robert Forrester was going to play Harry S. Truman at Originally, time? the original, right, the original, yeah. the, originally in 1989, 1990, he was going to be the, he was, I think he was the first pick that they, they wanted wow. to play him. And I don't know why that didn't work out, but. He's a big, well, at the time he was an actor. Like, he was in the movies. He's still an actor. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I think uh, at that time he right. was a movie actor. and He, he could have had other commitments, who knows. Yeah, the shift, the way I think Television is the new cinema. Yep. And cinema. It's, I think it started with Twin Peaks. I mean, yeah. I mean, there wasn't really, there wasn't a lot of directors like David Lynch doing TV, TV back then. Right, and then you yeah. did that. And, and I was just seeing on social media recently, we we're talking about Wild Palms, which had Oliver Stone. He was the executive producer, but still, Wild Palms came after Twin Peaks. And it seemed like it was a little more cooler after Twin Peaks to get a director or, mm. and Steven Spielberg did stuff, but yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that popular. I feel like Twin Peaks was one of the first to say, hey, you can have a, a director and, and famous stars. You know, do TV. Yeah, and now it's a, TV's the hip place to be. We we're looking at IMDb, and it says two episodes. Two episodes stands out to me, Ben. Do you want me to tell you my theory, or do you want to say your theory first? I'll go with you. I don't know if I have any theories about it. I want to hear what you have to say. This is my first initial theory. When we went to the Twin Peaks Festival, there was talk. There was talk about him not. Re being in the show. The Great Southern. The Great there. Southern. Yeah. And I haven't looked at the list. So here is my theory. 
He's in two episodes, in theory. We don't know. But if this holds to be true, that Robert Foster came in and he only filmed a certain part, my theory is Cooper and Truman were bosom buddies. They were as thick as thieves. This show doesn't take place 25 years later. We know that Cooper, doppelganger, out in the world, and Cooper's real self stuck in the lodge. Yes. So here is my thought. Doppelganger, Cooper, he's going to want to get rid of some people Mm -hmm. that could possibly figure things out. It's taken Harry S. Truman 25 years to figure out that Dale Cooper is not Dale Cooper. Maybe. (laughs) And here... How's Annie didn't give it away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Well, because we if Heather Graham is not in the new series, right. that connection's gone. Yeah. She was in the hospital. How's Annie? Right. Like For 25 years, Cooper's been saying, how's Annie? How's Annie? Annie, and, how's and, Annie? and Harry's like, I'm really tired of you <laughs> talking about how's Annie. I really don't think you're Dale Cooper. <laughs> and I think Dale Cooper takes a bat to his head. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, but this is what I think, though. Yeah. I think that, see in a flashback, that over this last 25 years, Cooper kills, or somebody kills Harry S. Truman and is never figured out, but it's Cooper. That would be huge. That'd be huge. And why only two episodes? Why is he not in the whole thing if this is going to take place in uh, Twin Peaks? So my theory is Harry S. Truman dies. Harry S. Truman is in the whole series. He just hangs out at his desk and says, <laughs> Hawk, go take care of this. It's just like Fire Rock and Me, yeah, which yeah. never made it to the movie. Uh, I feel like that's, to me, that's my theory. Just yeah. seeing, just based on this arbitrary information in front of me, what do you think? We had Michael Horse on the show, and he mentioned uh, Andy and Lucy, but he did not bring up uh, Truman at all. Yeah, I, I mean, they, they were, there was a lot more fun banter between Hawk and Lucy and Andy, I but guess. But Hawk was with more with Truman. Uh, that's interesting that that didn't come. I mean, who knows? He shouldn't have shared anything with us, probably. I don't want to get him. I hope we no, get in trouble. I'm but. glad he did because that was our biggest <laughs> show ever. <laughs> we'll never have a show that big. I mean, uh, unless we get like Cooper. David Lynch, on. when David Lynch comes on the show, you he know. will. He yes. will. Um, but anyway, I, I mean, that's what I get out of this. First of all, it, it can be pulled off. Because it's 25 years later, people look older. Robert Forrester does look older. Like that could match that. Mm. But if it's something in flashbacks or if it's something that happens at the beginning somehow, or yeah. I don't know. I just feel like... Do you think like... Harry S. Truman will be in the, the Secret History of Twin Peaks book oh. that Mark Frost is coming out with? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know who's the list, the cast on that. Yes. You're going to surprise me when you tell me. I don't know. Oh. I don't know either. I mean, I feel like... I feel like... I feel like all the characters will make some appearance. Our main characters will be in the book somehow. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that we have this stuff to speculate, but a part right. of me wishes I had nothing to go in there with why blindly. Did you, why did you look, Brian? I know. But no, this is cool. I think Carrie S. Truman is just a victim. I just have a weird feeling that Doppelganger Cooper is going to do some bad things. He's got to. We've been waiting 25 years. We've been waiting 25 years to to see bad Cooper. And it's really going to shatter us. I think what Cooper does is going to change our whole look on this who killed Laura Palmer. Hmm. I think. I think if it goes in that direction, it's going to change things. Season three is going to change almost everything what people believe in. Right. All these theories we've had, all the theories that John Thorne's had, every we've all had. I all, think it's going to blow it out of the water, man. <laughs> We're going to be like, but it's sort of like, I made that puzzle analogy before. It's going to be like, the puzzle has been made, it's laid out, and then a little kid comes over and just flips the table and it goes all over the ground and that's it. He's like, like that's not how you make it. Yes. <laughs> and it's going to be start from scratch and it's kind of cool. 
That's it's exciting. Really cool. I can't wait. Yeah. And now for guest of the week, Brad Dukes, author of Reflection of an Oral History of Twin Peaks and the Brad Dukes Show. Brad. Hey, Brad. It's Ben. And Brian. Hey, what's going on? It feels like a month ago the vinyl, uh, the Twin Peaks soundtrack vinyl came out, and then it was just released in record stores maybe a week or so ago. Yeah. And on Twitter, I see, Brad, that you won, <laughs> <laughs> you won, a, you won a vinyl. Yeah, it was really funny. Um, so I live in Nashville, and there is the best record store called Grimey's, and they had a listening party, and... <laughs> It was just funny. They had a raffle, and I won. Me and my wife were had a really good laugh about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, was it really random? I mean, like, did they know you and say, "Hey, this guy is really into Twin Peaks. We got to just give it to your, you." Your Bob shirt gave it away. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, there were probably I don't know, fifteen people that were there for the event. And as I was there, we were all listening to the the new soundtrack pressing, and I, I only really talked to one person. <laughs> And it was actually, uh, his name is Sam Smith, and he designed the the cover and the artwork for the reissue. So it wow. was really cool to talk to him. That's what a cool. small world. Yeah. You have your podcast. Any chance he's going to come on your podcast to talk about this? Or is just you guys are just chit-chatting at the store? Oh, uh, that's very possible. Um, he also drummed for Ben Folds back in the day. Oh, wow. So I could probably talk to that guy for quite a while. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah. Well, that since, is awesome. Since you haven't done that yet, like, can you share anything that you guys talked about? I mean, it's really neat that, to see that he actually designed... The record. Yeah, so he's just a a local artist, musician, and he told me he had done some artwork for the Criterion Collection DVDs and stuff, Hmm. and that's pretty cool. I mean, I am not artistic in that kind of realm at all, so... I can't remember how he exactly he got set up, but you know David Lynch approved the artwork. I guess he said over three years ago. Mm, wow! And, and I think there were just some hangups getting the, the soundtrack re-released. I, I think with the show coming back, they maybe wanted to push it back a little further to mm. align with marketing. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, that's but really yeah, cool. that was really cool. Did he have any information about Firewalk with Me vinyl release that's supposed to come out this year? He did not. He said oh. that he did the artwork for for that release. But I am going to imagine that's going to come out early next year, but yeah. I don't have anything to base that on. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was going to come out in December, but yeah, it's uncertainty when it's coming out. Yeah. yeah. So Brian picked up the vinyl. Yeah. And then I think it was last week you surprised me and you got me one as well. I ordered it, two copies from uh, Mondo. I went on vacation and see Ben for like two weeks and I've been holding on to it. And I was like, I'm not going to open mine up till I give Ben his. <laughs> So I surprised awesome. Ben with a copy uh, last week. I was very surprised, and but the, the thing is, I have no record player. But the the artwork is beautiful. It is, I yeah. think it it's like you could still frame it and hang it up. It's just a great collector's that's piece, true. I think. And that's what it is. I haven't opened it yet. It's just it's just uh, it's it's somewhere where my kids can't reach it right now. <laughs> Collecting vinyl, I started buying vinyl records in high school in I guess the late nineties when not record collecting was not very hip at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it's it, it, it's kind of a consuming hobby. I mean, if you move and you collect vinyl, I mean, it is a chore to just keep that hobby. It's very high maintenance. Yeah. Keeping your record player clean, the records clean. And yeah, they're so heavy and 
But the art, some of the artwork is so beautiful. And there's just something about opening uh, a vinyl and listening Talking to Talking about vinyl. opening it, Brian has it, his right here right now. You haven't actually opened it. Do you want to open it and see what your first reaction yeah. to the inside is? Yeah, Ben Ben wanted me to wait. He's like, you should open it on the show. Well, I only said that when I found out you hadn't opened it yet. It's like, well, if you haven't opened, why not do yeah. it on the show? I hadn't opened it because I wanted to listen to it actually tomorrow. So he's I got haven't, the, he's I got haven't the had... plastic, you know, <laughs> unwrapping the plastic. Did he do the artwork inside too? I'll find out. Yeah, I think it. he did uh, all of the art design. And, um, and I told him, I just said, David Lynch is notoriously picky. So, you know, well done in being the, the one chosen to, to do this. Yeah. You know, that's really cool. Yeah, I've got to say, I mean, it was really cool to to be at the store listening to the soundtrack, but also be thinking about how there were all kinds of other listening parties going on that day around the country. Mm. It's just odd. I mean, even the show coming back still seems strange and not real to me. Yeah. And so after all this time to know that people were gathering in separate places and celebrating Twin Peaks was really cool. That it is cool. There was a um, listening party in Connecticut at Red Squirrel Records. It's like a forty-five minute drive, but you I was on vacation. Oh, I was on vacation, yeah, yeah. and I—it's a very super super small place. Yeah. I've been there once in my life, and it's like very small. And yeah, I'm like, I wonder how many people are actually go to you know something hmm. like that. So you've opened it, and it, it, we, we see got the, the trees. The, yeah, the trees, the wind in the trees, and then. Ah, the man, the myth, the legend, Angelo. You know, yeah, it's funny to see just him, but I mean, he he is the one that composes all the music. So yeah, the vinyl. it actually looks like uh, I think like coffee. Oh man, yeah, it's a, it's a great product. I mean, it's the first of many new pieces of merchandise we're getting. I mean, it, it is so <laughs> awesome. That's yeah, true. It really it is, is awesome. like the first. We talk about merchandise a lot, like. Yeah. Brad, what would you like to see for season three merchandising? Like, what's something you think that would be really cool? I mean, at the very tip top of my list is I am a toy collector. I love action figures. Yeah. And and Funko, they do the pop vinyl yeah, figures. And they also yes. these, yeah. yep, these throwback figures, like, from the 80s. So that's at the top of my list. You know, there was, I don't know if you guys will remember this, but five years ago, there was a small release, or I guess, wave of, merchandise that you could only get online it was very limited and i heard about some ideas that didn't get released like i think it was like a one-eyed jacks poker set or something so i think i'm kind of expecting more off the beaten paths merchandise that we're not expecting you know action figures might be out of the question i don't know but those pop figures make a lot of sense because they make them for everything that would be cool yeah Yeah, i'm trying to think what else i feel spoiled with the show coming back but i mean even another spin-off book um would be cool i I really loved the the original books Mm. and uh yeah and i guess we'll be getting another soundtrack that's kind of hard to believe for season three so right and last week we were, ta- we were talking about that there's so many uh, – we're starting to ta- dig into the cast now a little bit. I mean we don't really have spoilers. We haven't really – we don't know anything about the plot. But it seems like – so some of the cast are musicians. And it's it seems like they would be maybe playing music in the show. And we have Vetter uh, uh, there. Any Vetter. Any Vetter who seems like he came out with a new song related to Twin Peaks or – yeah. What do you think yeah. about that, Brad? I mean, there's a lot of musicians. I think a lot of them will probably just be playing music, but I do have hopes and suspicions that a few of those musicians are going to have actual roles, like you know, like Chris Isaac and Firewalk with Me, yeah. yeah, or something. But the secrecy is just so insane. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, I would love to see Eddie Vedder as like an FBI agent. <laughs> um, <laughs> That would be awesome. But, you know, he's, I, I guess those rumors have came out that he's going to be playing a song. So Yeah. 
guess we will see. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the fact that we lost David Bowie, that he could have been in this, is heartbreaking. True. That would have yeah. been really cool. And I almost feel like, you know, say Trent Reznor, I mean, he's probably have music, but it would be kind of cool if Trent Reznor was in there, too. Mm. Um, he kind of would fit the bill of a David Bowie type. Next week, you're going to come on the show, and we're going to do Blue Velvet. And it's going to be yes. the, the 30th anniversary of Blue, Blue Velvet. Velvet. So it's so cool. Ah, uh, gonna... can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brad. You're welcome. Thanks. It's that time again. Twin Peaks stories. So what do we have today, Ben? Well, I thought we could talk a little bit about uh, the history of Twin Peaks uh, a book coming out there. Only a month away. Very exciting. Very exciting. And so what came out, they're, they're doing an audio book. Yeah. And we're going to have some well-known uh, people reading this book. Now, this is co- so cool. Um, and part of me is like, it's going to be 10 hours. So I'm very like, I, I'm pr- I probably will listen to this before getting the book. Mm. So yeah, me too. I think yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to it everywhere I can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but so Kyle McLaughlin, Cooper, who plays Cooper, I don't, I'm guessing they're going to be reading their parts, but I, w- yes, we don't they know. Would be. You, they would that make be. the most sense? There's going to be a narrator. And these people will be reading their parts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it'd be be crazy to think that, like, we get to hear Kyle McLaughlin for the first time in 25 years or, you know, 20-some-odd years where we get to actually hear him. How cool is that? That'll be something else. Yeah. Yeah. So we have Kyle McLaughlin. We have Russ Tamblin, who plays Dr. Jacoby. He'll be in that. That's cool. Uh, Michael Horse, Chris Mulkey. Uh, he plays Hank, and we, you know, Michael Horse, of course. Hank talks. is back. That's an interesting thing. I don't know if he. I I haven't seen anywhere where he, they've said that he's going to be in the new series. But he could be in the book. Right, he could be in the book. We could get a this book. Is a rap- history of Twin Peaks. Yes, yeah, so right. it's gonna, it's going to give us storylines that we might not see in the TV show at all. It could mm-hmm. be like wrapping people up. It could be like yeah. this is what in happens plastic. to Hank in plastic, <laughs> and everybody dies. Right, <laughs> but like here's Hank's ending here here's uh josie's ending we i mean all yeah. these cool things is josie gonna be in it i don't know you say i don't know, oh, I don't, I don't don't know. who don't else know. is they know so david patrick kelly who plays uh jerry horn he okay. will be reading a part in that and then on twitter mark frost brought something up which i thought was uh interesting i don't know if you remember mark frost actually played a reporter in twin peaks it was briefly vaguely, vaguely. vaguely. i mean it'd be on the tv you know shelly would be watching tv and you'd be a reporter mark frost talking about i think the the mill burning and stuff like that. yeah it yeah. was very brief so his character's name is uh cyril pons mm-hmm. and he says on twitter that that he might be reading Ooh. so mark frost will be reading his, his, own, his own book as a reporter from twin peaks that is so cool i think that'd be cool would it be really cool if he was the narrator? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be kind of neat if Mark Frost is the narrator? So in between the, I, but I don't know. The problem is the format. We don't know. Mm. It's, I guess the format is different documents. You know, be so, a cool narrator, David Lynch. There you go. I liked how secret this was. This was just like this is happening. That's mm. so cool, R- right? I mean, nobody talked about it at all. Nobody mentioned there's going to be an audio book. Right. I was hoping because I'm lazy and I, I want to get it right away. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I want to like... If I go listen to it in the car, how yes, cool is that? Right. I'm going to listen to every chance I can get. Maybe I'll take some walks at work and I'll listen to it. You know, in podcasts, like we do, mm. are, you know, it's such a great way of getting information. 
and, and it's like talk radio. But if I can listen to this in my car for a couple of days, make the drive to work to home more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, why not? That's so cool. So and it's great to think that it's an unbridged version. So it's it's you know you said the, ten hours. Yeah. It's not like oh we talked took pieces of the book and got did an audio version. They went they went all out and did the whole who, book. Now it's a narration. Who would you want to be the narrator? It's tough because I'm trying to figure out the format. Like some of this is different documents that like the FBI got, and maybe it's it could be Project Blue Book. It could be all kinds of stuff. So it's I was gonna say David Lynch as Cole. That would be awesome. And he's, but he's yelling, yelling it? the whole time. I know. But that would be so humorous. Yeah. Honestly, it's a, it's so sad about Don Davis's passing. He played Major Briggs. Major Ooh, Briggs reading everything. Great. Like, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, or... you're right. That would be really cool. <laughs> David Duchovny. <laughs> he's got a great voice. As Denise, right? As Denise, Denise? Denise or Dennis reading the book or you can go back and forth who knows yeah you go back and forth so. uh james earl jones would be great as darth vader <laughs> darth vader i don't know ben i'm pretty lost just figuring out all these names and who is who but i'm pretty excited to hear the audiobook but speaking of being lost what time is it it's lost in twin peaks with joel Bacco. This week I want to talk about um, a heavier subject, but it's one that's absolutely at the heart of Twin Peaks, which is uh, incest and sexual abuse. Mm. So I think the thing that people, especially people who haven't watched the show in a while or who sort of paid attention to it casually or maybe haven't seen it, they present it as this pastiche where it's all about style and mood and sort of impenetrable mystery. Um, and it doesn't really have anything at heart. In fact, there's a famous quote from 1990 where somebody says, uh, maybe Twin Peaks has nothing at all in, in its pretty little head except mm. for the desire to please. And as the show wore on, people less fewer people watched and, and sort of the myth got set. Uh, it was actually revealed that, in fact, there was a very deep subject at its core. Um, and that subject was the fact that the, the, the central victim, the character who everybody is investigating, um, was the victim of sexual abuse, and that that was why she died, and that her, her murderer was her father. Now, they also combine this in the series with a complication, which is that there's a spirit Bob who inhabits Leland, and uh, at certain points in the in the series, we're led to believe that, you know, well, maybe Bob controlled Leland, and he couldn't really help what he was doing, and he wasn't even aware of it. And I think in this manner, they kind of dance around the issue in a way that I find actually quite distasteful, because I think... If you're going to bring in uh, um, something that's very real like that into the into the story, and to treat it with the seriousness it deserves, which I think they do in certain sequences, um, the sequence where Bob murders, or well, I should say, where Leland murders Maddie, uh, is extremely traumatizing and, mm-hmm. and a perfect evocation of of that darkness at the heart of the story. But I think if you're if you're going to do that, you really have to see it through. And it seems like Bob was a device that at a certain point um, threatened to become a distraction. Now, we've talked about that at other points, so I, I don't want to get too much into the, the Bob aspect of that. Um, but I do think in the film, 
Uh, Lynch brings it back to the fact that uh, whatever spiritual stuff you want to read into this, whatever role you see Bob playing, there was an actual physical abuse taking place um, for years mm. in Laura's life, and the perpetrator was her father. Um, and I think he also makes it quite clear in the film, maybe not clear enough, but he, he does uh, include dialogue and behaviors that, that uh, tell us that Leland knows what he's been doing and that actually he's rationalized it to himself. So there's an interesting observation one of the pieces. I found a lot of great essays today because I was researching this. I wanted to come on sort of post-prepared. And there was a lot of great essays on this subject, um, some of which I'd read, some of which I, I wasn't even aware of, called Murder, Incest, and Damn Fine Copy by Jason Graham Bainbridge and Elizabeth Delaney. And at one point they observe that, I think Chris Rodley in his interviews with David Lynch says, you know, well, the, the image of Bob, it's sort of a way to obscure, to make it not just about incest. But they point out that when Bob, when Leland looks in the mirror and sees Bob, there's no sense that Leland is aware that the image is not his own. And I think that's an interesting point, because I think people look at it and they say, okay, here's Leland and here's Bob, or they're both Bob, and we're just seeing his real image and his thing. But all everything that's in Twin Peaks, and certainly almost everything, excuse me, almost everything that's in Twin Peaks, and certainly everything that's in the movie, equally well lend themselves to a reading where there is no Bob. Bob's in the film, so he's a part of it, but mm -hmm. you could take him out and it would still be completely coherent. And I mm -hmm. think that's the important thing I want to emphasize in this segment, is that uh, there are real patterns um, in victims and perpetrators of, of sexual abuse that are reflected extremely well in the film uh, and in the series. And I think that's an important point to make because a lot of times the, the uh, people are clearly uncomfortable with indicting Leland and saying Leland is responsible for these things. And, you know, I, I know we've we've talked about it on the show. It's like, well, he's mm. he's very, you know, he's he's a very loving father, and, and he's fun, and and you know, I think that's maybe that's the real Leland, this guy who loves his daughter and and cares. But I want to read a passage from a book about sexual abuse, about incest, specifically father-daughter incest. And um, actually, I'm sorry, this isn't a passage from a book. It's um, from a review of the book where somebody is summarizing what's in it. So I think as we read through it, you'll, you'll kind of see the parallels and why I'm reading it. The homes were very traditional homes with full-time mothers. These mothers had spent a significant period of time being ill, were often separated from social supports, had larger families than average, uh, 3.6 children each, and experienced very little power in the domestic relationship. Now, to break away from that, obviously Leland and Sarah only have one child, but I think otherwise you can definitely see the parallels there with Sarah Palmer. So to go mm. back to it, often the fathers abused alcohol. That's something we don't see in Twin Peaks. But going from there, mothers and daughters were alienated. Almost all the fathers were feared in their homes, but viewed outside it, they were seen to be good-tempered, amiable, if not downright meek. These men knew they were least likely to be opposed in their own homes by their own daughters and exploited that reality. They were often charming to their daughters who felt like daddy's little princess. So that's something that I think the film portrays extremely well and something that unfortunately um, gets obscured when people try to delineate the good and the bad Leland and, and make it like there's, you know, there's no way that these two things could coexist. In fact, that's extremely indicative of actual incestuous families. The, the fathers are often quite charismatic, mm. charming, especially to outside figures. They are very manipulative towards their victims. And, and this isn't to say mothers can't do it as well, obviously, but we're looking at a certain pattern here mm. that, that's reflected in the, in the film uh, and in the series. So another key thing to point out is this sort of concept of the community involvement or, or non-involvement. You get the sense that everybody around Laura knows that something is going wrong, that something's not quite right with her and her family, mm. uh, but they, 
they don't really voice it. And there's a sense that, you know, what would they say if she told them? I've actually heard people question this and say, well, this is, why wouldn't she just tell people? Why wouldn't she go to the police? Why wouldn't she go to, uh, that almost never happens in reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's extremely rare for, to my understanding. Uh, it's extremely rare for uh, a child who's a victim of, of sexual abuse to, to go to authorities. And there's a few reasons for that. There's the fear of people not believing them. There's also the desire not to hurt the abuser, because uh, that, that's kind of the key thing to understand here. The, the abuser will groom the victim, and, and you know, it's, it's not simply a matter of, you know, invading their room and, and, and physical assault and everything like that, uh, although that can happen too. And again, this is to my understanding. I'm not an expert in this field or anything, but I, I have, you know, read some about it and, you know, know people who it's happened to and everything like that. So oftentimes what they'll do is they'll manipulate the, the victim and they'll tell themselves or, or tell the victim that it's consensual. And that's something you see very clearly in the film uh, mm-hmm. because Leland says he has several, several scenes with Laura where it's implied that that's the kind of relationship that's going on here in his mind. Um, now, she's brought in Bob to kind of, well, I mean, there is, there, there's an evil presence there as well. That's an external force, but there's also a sense in which she's using Bob to block out her father so that she doesn't have to see the truth. Um, but from Leland's point of view, I don't think he sees Bob. I don't think he's aware of his presence. I think his rationalization is that he, him and his daughter have, as horrible as it sounds, in his mind, they have a consensual relationship, mm. and it's a secret, and they don't talk about it openly. And you see that in that scene where they're in the car, and she says to him, you know, were you there on Saturday? What was... And finally, he admits to it. Yeah, I was there on Saturday. And he says, you know, um, why were you, were you? I didn't see you there. Were you, uh, were you out of school? What, what were you doing there? And there's this kind of undercurrent to their whole conversation of him sort of implying, look, you know, you know, you know the rules of this game, Laura. What, what are you trying to do here? We don't talk about this. Hmm. Um, and you see it a few more times when he goes into a room and and I said, well, what's going on? I, what's happening here? And most importantly, you see it in the end. And this is the most unequivocal point, because at this point, and I talked about this on your previous episode, it's, not, it's, it's, it's clearly distinguished from Bob, who's standing on the other side of Laura. Leland looks up at her and he says, your diary, I always thought you knew it was me. So for the past week, what we've basically been watching, in addition to Laura discovering that her father is her abuser, we've been watching Leland discover that she didn't know this, that, that he was raping her, basically. This is from Doan and Hodges, uh, two authors who are uh, quoted quite a bit in the Murder, Incest, and Damn Fine Coffee uh, essay. They say that the daughter's disclosure of incest is often resisted, not just by fathers who stand to lose their families, jobs, and liberty, but by the powerful members of communities, judges, lawyers, ministers, who do not want to think that incest occurs in the traditional families that they so pride. You absolutely see that in the show, I think most acutely with Judge Sternwood, um, who comes in and he's this folksy, lovable cowboy character, and just all he does, scene after scene after scene, is let Leland off the hook, over and over. Leland's a fine man, he gives him the whole speech about uh, Valhalla and how they'll meet again, and I know you to be a fine man, And and they're sitting in the courtroom, and Truman gives a speech about how Leland's family has been there forever, 
and the judge says, I'm, I'm going to let you out on your own recognizance. I, I know you've been through this grief. Now, that's all specifically about him murdering someone who is perceived to have, you know, killed his daughter, supposedly. But there's all these signs there of a kind of madness and a dangerousness. And if, if people want to actually look at the facts and dig into it, especially once they get the diary later on, and they still miss the clues, there's a lot of suggestions there that Leland is a murderer. Him jumping on, or, or her abuser, I should say, him jumping on the coffin at the scene, uh, whenever he's dancing, you know, there's the cute father-daughter thing, but there's then, then there's this obsessive nature to it that starts to get kind of creepy, where he's rubbing the blood all over her portrait, and you mm. just get this sense, and, and there's a great article, and I wish I'd written down some quotes from it. I would recommend anybody go look this up. It's an article, I think it's from the Chicago Tribune, maybe, and it's from right after the show aired, and it says, uh, to anybody who, who knows about sexual abuse, this Laura's killer being her father is not a surprise at all. And it goes down the list of all the reasons that they've kind of given in the show. Um, and, and especially the fact that this is really important to understand, too. The victims often, and there's nothing universal about it, you know, but quite often the victims will feel extremely shamed and they'll pursue behaviors. They'll get into drugs, quite frequently get into prostitution. There's this, I don't have the statistic at my fingertips, but there's a surprising number, shocking number of, of sex workers who experience sexual abuse in their past. So... So all of this stuff you see in the film and the book is is really consistent with the patterns that are that are there in reality. I think that that last point I want to raise about sort of uh, you know what I mentioned with Judge Sternwood and the the, the community not wanting to recognize. There's very much a, a sort of cultural political aspect to this as well, which is that uh, frequently incest is codified as being outside of the middle class. Um, and often outside of, of uh, the white middle class specifically, too. Um, there's been a, a pattern in media and just in popular perception. I think if you're going to look at the most sort of stereotypical um, notion of where incest occurs, it's always, well, it's this, you know, quote-unquote white trash, you know, uh, lower, lower income uh, families and alcoholic dad and a wife beater or something like that. That's very much the classic image. Of, um, of sexual abuse. And if, if you want to look at, you know, the, the stereotype of child molester, what are you going to think of? Well, I would suggest, you know, one of the first images that might come to mind is a creepy-looking, long-haired guy in, like, a jean jacket mm. uh, who you see out of the corner of your eyes, and you're mm. just like, oh, now that's exactly what Bob is. And mm. what you have there at its best is a real subversion of um, this notion that the middle-class home is where everything is safe and protected and outside of that is this dangerous, troubled world. And that's a view that Lynch himself has perpetuated at times. If you look at Blue Velvet, if you look even in The Elephant Man, you have the upper class protecting uh, John Merrick from all of these gruff, grungy proletarians who basically, you know, kind of humiliate, sexually humiliate him often and abuse him. So, so it's, a, it's a notion that you saw in Lynch's work before Twin Peaks. Um, but it's really subverted, especially by the time you get to the film, where it's clear that Bob is this, this stereotype of, of what the molester looks like is incorrect, um, or at least it's incomplete. And uh, you, what you have, the, the best articulation of this in all of Twin Peaks is when Laura runs out of the house screaming, and then she looks up to see the monster leave the house, and it's her father in his business suit, and he gets in his nice car, and he drives off, and that sort of dawning realization that this horror isn't something that came from out without from outside it came from within mm. and that's i think the, the show and the film at its truest in in portraying you know this phenomenon so 
I really like your point about um, there's almost an agreement. At least Leland thinks there's like an agreement between him and his daughter. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing with the necklace, where he sees the necklace at the table, and he's like, oh, oh it's, I did want to bring that up. A yeah. secret lover, and it seems like it almost is like in his mind she's cheating on him. Yeah. I yes. never got that until just now. Yeah. Right. That's a great point. Like- uh, that's actually pointed out in that article. It says that there are sort of two points. Okay, they explore the motives of why Leland did it. And one one reason is to keep the secret. And the second reason is this jealousy, the desire to prevent escape. And that's something that you see recurring throughout uh, literature about incest, whether fictional or a true desire of the father to, 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 to keep the daughter within the house, to keep her under his control. And that's something you see out with Leland if he has this obsession with power and control, possibly because he was abused as a child. Um, although we don't need to get too much into it, but that's a trope that can sometimes be, be sort of overdone, um, you know, that somebody's abused and they become the abuser because of frequently not the case. I just want to say real uh, quick like that that whole thing about uh, you know when Leland dies he's dying and he says he came inside me and I and I when I didn't know it I always felt like that was him being abused and it didn't have to really be you know it could have been a real person I actually thought maybe it was his grandfather that was abusing him and we I mean we could get into that another time but Firewalk there's a lot of possibilities yeah Yeah. well and the grandson is sometimes associated the Tremont boy that they call the grandson is sometimes associated with Leland. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what what would that possibly tell you? Plus, there's the movie Lynch made, The grand, the Grandmother, where there's a grandson who's abused by the, his parents, and he mm. creates a grandmother. Right. Um, but that's a, whole, that's a whole other story. The last quote I want to read, extra-diegetically, this is from Murder, Incest, and Damn Fine Coffee. It says, extra-diegetically, Bob is actually making visible this idea of domestic violence, quite literally giving a face to the change that comes over someone engaged in this act, the dual personality so many accounts refer to. Thanks, Joel. It's always great to hear his theories. This was an intense one. This uh, The thing about incest, I don't... It's a, that was a tough one, but it's really good, and I think he, he made a good argument on it. Yes, and this is something I haven't said on, on mic. I've told you my idea, um, but I'd really like to have Joel on in the future before season three, and I want to do a show where we're going to discuss that more. And uh, like Who the killer was. Who, who really killed Laura Palmer part one? And then I want to come back after season three and say, I want it to be called, Now Who Really Killed Laura Palmer? And I, I, I want to take Joel's theory because I love it, and yeah. I love his theory. And I want to counter uh, counter a debate his theory with a theory I have. So you've seen the series, you've seen the movie, and you've just been kind of, it's been oh, it's simmering, been it's been percolating. percolating. There's a fish in my percolator, and it needs to come out, because right. I have it. I, I think about it a lot. Yeah. I've never had a show infest my brain like Twin Peaks has. Well, let's find a time to do that. Yeah, definitely. So I think it's a good time, you know, talking about uh, what people are thinking. We should find out what our community is up to, and community feedback. So, you can leave a comment in iTunes, just like Miss BL did. Miss BL left us a five-star review on iTunes, which you can do. We're free on iTunes. Please subscribe. Miss BL says, I really enjoyed listening to, to this podcast. The hosts are entertaining, and sometimes 
their take on various situations in the show are hilarious. Mm. And I think now we're getting into the movies and stuff. I, I find the Lynch s- movies, right? The Lynch yeah. movies. Yeah. I think some of the conversations have been getting very weird. Uh, <laughs> while at heart, the one that sticks out of my mind, while at heart, we're talking about uh, the character with the cockroach in his butt. And oh then uh, Francine got into a story, and it was really entertaining. And I think the movies allow us just to get really crazy with yeah, storytelling. And, definitely. Uh, we can use personal stories, and I think that's where the humor comes out. Did you have a personal story about a cockroach? In your- <laughs> no. But I think Francine told us a weird story uh, uh, yeah, in yeah. Wild Heart. But right. I do not, thank God. <laughs> if if I did, I wouldn't be on this podcast. Uh, Miss B- BL goes on. I've also learned new things about Twin Peaks when they have guests on. And great job, guys. Thanks, Miss BL. Um, I, I I think having um you have been so diligent in like getting guests and um having historians of the show, we've learned so much because of them. Oh yeah, and like I think that's what makes this show um almost come to life is hearing these stories mm. from the people. If you're a fan or a historian like John Thorne or Scott Ryan or any of the numerous people, the writers and the actors and. Yeah, it really comes to life. And yeah. I think that's really cool. It's something a lot of shows don't have. You get to hear these firsthand experiences. I love that. I, a lot of times I just want to step back and like let them take over the show. Like, yeah, let, yeah. You know, I, I, this is a community show. I believe it's it's about the people that, that are writing to us. It's it's their show. It's it's getting these other people that have been part of of Twin Peaks history that they're coming on sharing their stories. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah, it really is. I I definitely agree. So, yeah, thank you, uh, Miss BL on iTunes for that wonderful comment. Uh, Remember, everybody, subscribe to us on iTunes. It's free. Leave us that five-star review. Um, You can find us on Twitter. On Facebook, which you've been doing a great job with. Oh, thank you. Uh, Facebook's been blown up. We're on Podbean. That's our home base. And for some reason, we're on Stitcher. Yep, we're we on Stitcher. We never bring that up. Do people use Stitcher? I don't know. Let us know. Do, Do you guys use Stitcher? Stitcher? We're on Stitcher. We're but on Stitcher. Uh, we're yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Um, you can send us an email at TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. Thanks again to Silencio. You can find both their albums on iTunes and Apple Music, CD Baby, Amazon, and more. All right. Well, excellent. Thank you guys again for everything, Silencio, Andy, and the community at large, and especially you, Scott. Hello, this is David Lynch speaking. I would like to invite you to be my VIP guest at the first ever Festival of Disruption. That means behind the scenes access for you and a friend for a weekend of talks, music, art, films, and more. Plus, every entry benefits the work of the David Lynch Foundation. You will meet me at the private kickoff party. You will have a damn good cup of coffee with Kyle McLaughlin. And we will even fly you out to Los Angeles and put you up in a four-star hotel. All it takes to enter is $10 or more if you feel it. Every entry helps the David Lynch Foundation get the profound benefits of transcendental meditation to the people suffering from trauma and stress.
To enter now, click the link or go to www.omaze.com slash David. Thank you very much.